Amen. Good morning, everyone. Now, Russ said a fiery preacher. And so if you're already like sinking into your seat, you got your icy hot on, you're ready. I promise I'm not here to scare you, right? I love God's church. And when I think about God's church, I was telling somebody this morning, I've been here uh, coming to the Garden State Church for 23 years. I'm only 27 years old, right? I've been here for a long time. And one of the things I really admire about God's church and looking throughout the scriptures and seeing even the Old Testament is that God's church, it doesn't, when the church is together, it's not a library. It's not like the silent section of the library. It is a party, right? You think of Isaiah chapter six and God shows Israel or shows uh, Isaiah. God shows Isaiah his glory and it is, you got angels yelling from one side to the other, holy, holy, holy. Think about the first century Christians. They get together, and it is exciting. They're glad and sincere, and they meet in each other's homes. And so my hope today, right, I'm part of the campus ministry, so I'm bringing a little campus ministry with me. My hope today is that you're loose, that you're here to have a good time, that if something resonates with you, you can make that strange, audible grunt that some of us make. Mm. Mm, amen, bro. Whatever, whatever's on your heart. Let's pray together and then let's jump into our scripture for today. Uh, our Father in heaven, we are so grateful with all that's going on, with all the struggles that each of us face on a day to day basis. We know that the trials we face are many. You don't, uh, you don't keep that as a secret from us. We know that there are things going on in the lives of many of the people and all the people in this room where we need one another, and more than that, we need you. And so, Father, as we are here today to remember you, to connect with you, to worship you, and to connect with our friends and our brothers and sisters, help us be inspired and refreshed to persevere through the things that we're wrestling through and to keep our mind fixated and fast on you. We love you. In your son's name we pray. Amen. All right. So the name of the, the title of my lesson today is Be Here and Persevere. Let me hear you say that. Be here and persevere. Wow. All right. Many people can fill the worship team. That's beautiful. All right. So one of the things that I love about our campus ministry is the theme this semester, our semester theme is red, right? Radical every day, focusing on the red letters of Jesus. Now, you may hear that, and you might feel like, all right, that's very pressuresome, radical every day. Well, here's the cool thing, is that being radical every day is not the pursuit. Instead, it is the result of a life obsessed with Jesus. That's what happens. When you are consumed with Jesus, you find yourself doing things that you would never have done before. And that's why we need to focus on our king and remember him. And so today, as we think about uh, perseverance, be here and persevere, we're going to take a look at the, the, the journey of Israel uh, through the wilderness. And I have some things that I've been studying. I'm going through the, the book of, uh, going through the Bible right now, and I just finished Numbers, and now uh, I'm working my way through the Bible. And this is something that's really resonated with me. And so behind me is an image of Israel's journey throughout the desert. And what you'll see is that point number one, I don't know if you can see number one, but that's in the top left corner. They navigate all the way through, all the way, they have a loop, 
Why is there a loop? I don't know. They're in a loop and they go back and then they're up to point 17. And that is the promised land. Let me be clear. That is incredibly inefficient. God's path to take his people to where they needed to go immediately started in the wrong direction. But that was God's plan, right? And his goal was to always take them to the promised land. But he had to first take them through the wilderness before they could experience the promised land. You know, 7,487 promises are made by God in the Bible, right? What are some of your favorite promises? Turn to the person next to you. And if you don't know, you could just say, I want to learn. But what's your favorite promise that God makes you in the Bible? And if you got nobody around you, think about it. <laughs> favorite promise in the Bible. All right. I love it. I'm going to talk to one another here at service today. What's cool is that we do one of my favorite promises, the promise of heaven one day. And that's why we do what we do. Our promised land is heaven. It's arriving to be in connection and in peace with God. The land, our land flowing with milk and honey, and it will be worth persevering. However, between now and our destination, there will be countless moments where we realize we are not in the promised land. There are moments in between promises being fulfilled that feel like we are navigating through a spiritual desert. You ever felt like that? You ever felt like you're navigating through your walk with God or your life or the situation and you're like, I don't even know which direction I came from. I don't know what left is or right is or straight is and there's no oasis in sight. I'm just gonna have to keep walking. And that's a hard place to be. But the reality is that as we follow Christ, we often find ourselves in that spiritual desert. And it's important that we not be surprised by those things, but recognize even from the get-go, thousands of years ago, God decided, I am going to take my people into the desert. I'm going to take my people there so I can shape them and mold them. God does some of his greatest work in the desert. And if you are in the spiritual desert, which if you're not right now, praise God, but you will be. If, you're in, if when you are in the spiritual desert, you have to realize that that is where God does his greatest work. You know, the Greek word for desert or wilderness is eremos. I was like a Spanish accent in there. There you go, eremos. Vamos, tu sabe. Okay, so you take it into the desert in the eremos, and God takes the Israelites into the desert and shapes them. God takes Abraham into the desert and shapes him. God developed David, not in the you know, shepherds feel the word there was eremos. God develops King David before he becomes king in the desert. John the Baptist was in the desert. Jesus, 40 days in the desert. Philip along the, the south road in the desert. The apostles often brought with Jesus into the desert. It's in the wilderness that God does his greatest work, and it's where he prepares us and establishes us. We need to be here and persevere. No one wants the wilderness, but it is a necessary part of God's shaping us. 
And so as we talk about the journey today, I want us to, to remember and to know that the desert is a good place to be. It's a place where God does his greatest works. And you might not see it that way, but we need to have a continual reframing of our thinking. I need a continual reframing of my thinking. As I was praying this morning, I got out of my house. I went for a prayer walk. I was reminded it's not a proverb, it's a quote, but it goes, blessed are the flexible, for they will not be bent out of shape. Morning was inflexible and I was bent out of shape after I prayed that, right? But I think this is so important to remember that as, our, as we follow Christ, this journey that we're on with him is just that. It is a land of twists and turns and unexpected things happening to us. And if we are going to make it to heaven one day, we need to be willing to be flexible with the turns and twists that God presents, especially out there in the desert. My first point is to change your why. Change your why. Think about all the good that God did for the Israelites while in the desert. Well, first, even before going to the desert, God sent plagues on Egypt. And there he reminded his people, I'll take care of you. Look at what I can do. He then brings them out into the wilderness and decides to make a beeline for the water and says, watch this, parts the Red Seas, they walk through, and then he destroys the enemy at the tail end of the water. God led them by fire during the night and smoke during the day. Water was produced out of nothing. Manna arrived in the morning. Quail showed up with the dew. God had burning bushes. I mean, there was all these things that God did. And if Israel had not experienced that, think about the relationship they would have had with God. It would have been lacking, maybe even two-dimensional. But it was in the desert that God established who he was with them. They learned new complexities and new elements of who God was through the challenges that were presented to them. Amen. However, their response was often complaining and a lack of faithfulness. Where God brought them and intended to show himself who he was to them, they responded with complaining and a lack of faithfulness. Here was their why. God, why did you bring us out into the desert to die? When really, and I believe the invitation that God gave them was to ask a different why. God, why did you bring us out here? What are you trying to teach me right now? As we're going through our trials and our suffering and our twists and turns, you can ask one of two questions, and I promise you, one of them is not helpful. <laughs> one why is not helpful. God, why are you doing this to me? This hurts so much. You're not looking for an answer when you ask that question. But when you ask God, why am I out here? What are you hoping to teach me? It changes your perspective and enables you to navigate through the desert, right? And so I would have loved to see the approach of the Israelites from one issue to the next be different, right? says, wow, we needed water, and God had Moses throw a big log into the water, and somehow it turned it from bitter to drinkable. That's like an amazing Brita filter. Now we are hungry. 
We're out here very hungry. Moses, you know how God did that water thing? Can, can you talk to him? We're hungry. Can you ask him to provide us for some food? Wouldn't have that have been an appropriate approach for the Israelites to have with God? From victory to victory, instead, they lose sight of the past of what God has already done for them. Instead, we read in Exodus 16, not that. We read, in the desert, the whole community grumbled against Moses and Aaron. The Israelites said to them, if only we had died by the Lord's hand in Egypt. There we sat around pots of meat and ate the, all the food we wanted. But you have brought us into the desert to starve this entire assembly to death. That sounds a little bit of like those why questions we ask sometimes, right? Why am I here? It would have been so much easier to go back when it wasn't difficult. Why did you have to bring me to this situation? Why, why, why? And God gets frustrated with his people. He says, well, here's some quail. I'll take care of you. I always will. Trust that I know how to take care of you better than you think you do. I'm going to take care of you. And only they change their perspective. Why, God, are you doing this to me? Instead, hmm, why is God doing this? Surely he wouldn't lead us out here to die. He does care about us. Moses, can you ask God for food? Now, I said I'm 27 years old. I've been in New Jersey 27 years, and I've tried to leave New Jersey like 27 times. Please take what I'm about to say with uh, a light heart. I have been ready to get out of here since I was like 16, okay? No disrespect to anybody here. You're amazing. But I just felt like, man, I, I've just been stuck in New Jersey. I'm ready to go. I applied to Virginia Tech. I applied to Texas A&M. I got in. I got in. And then William Patterson's like, we have some money for you. And so I stayed. Freshman year of college. I spent more time looking at different schools than at my own school. I was ready to join a mission team to Maine. And then when the minister there never called me, I was ready to go somewhere else, right? I looked at Boston. I looked at all these different places. New Jersey is great, but I was like, I just don't want to be here. Why am I here, God? I'm ready to get out. Anybody relate to that? Yeah, many of our compatriots have left and moved to North Carolina or Florida. Thanks for staying. I get it. Anyway, so <laughs> I realized, why am I here? I, this is William Patterson in New Jersey. This is not the promised land. Our football team is terrible. Like, I do not want to be here anymore. And then God did something really funny. God put in my freshman class a, little, a, a young girl named Brielle Chamberlain. And Brielle and I had three classes together my freshman year, totally unplanned. I had gone through some heartbreak and some twists and turns. And when I realized, man, I need a girl who's more spiritual than me, that next week, Brielle correct, corrected me on my false doctrine that I believed in my own mind. I went back to Mark and I was like, Mark, I found her. She is the one. Our freshman year, Charles DelVal and I studied the Bible with 45 people. And not one of them became a Christian. God, why am I here? But I stepped back and, you know, hindsight is 2020. I would love present sight to be 2020, but hindsight is 2020. And I realized that's where I learned to study the Bible with people. 
That's where I learned how to be a good friend to my then girlfriend. That's when I learned what it looked like to have great friendships in the ministry. That's what I looked like to have family in the church with people beyond just the campus ministry. It was right here in New Jersey. And now here's the deal. I'm very happy to be here. I'm not trying to leave anywhere, but you know what happens when you get comfortable, right? Watch out. <laughs> I don't have any plans to go, but God, who knows, right? But it's interesting because that entire time, and you could share your story, that entire time I'm looking at the trials and I'm going, why, 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 instead of why? What are you doing right here, right now? If you stopped and thought about the situations that you're going through right now, what would you ask God? What would God tell you he's trying to teach you? You need to change your why. And it's not an easy thing to do, but we need to change our why. Maybe it's a family member you've hoped would have already become a Christian. Maybe you've seen someone around you continuously hurting themselves. Maybe you're in chronic pain. Maybe you're waiting for a spouse. You can fill in the blank. How would you describe your spiritual desert? And I don't lightly say those things like, hey, just trust God and move on. But I think it's in the hardship of waiting. It's in the hardship where you don't know where things are going, where that's the place to stop and ask the right why. Because we're all in it. Two things to consider while wandering through your desert. The first thing to consider is that the promised land is wherever you are. The promised land is wherever you are. One of the 7,000 promises that God gives you and God gives us, he promises us that wherever we are, there he is with us. And so if you look around, you go, none of the 7,000 are being fulfilled today, God. Well, yes, it is. Your promised land is exactly where you are. Why would God take me on this path through the desert? I may not know, but I trust that God is with me. That this hard time, God is using to be life-changing. At this point in my life, my vast 27 years, I have finally grasped the concept that ma the majority of the time, things do not go well. Can I get an amen? I mean, I just, I, there, was, there was a point in my life, majority of my life, where I just was always surprised when things didn't go well. And at this point, when things are going well, I'm surprised. And I realize that it's temporary, right? But that's exactly what God does. He brings us often from promise to promise, from fulfilled thing to fulfilled thing. But in between, that's where he walks with us. And that's where he loves being with us. Blessed are the flexible. They do not get bent out of shape. Which why are you asking? My second point, as we're coming in for a landing, we've heard the idea that hope deferred makes the heart sick. But I think that's true if you put a time limit on your hope, right? Well, that's not my second point. My second point is hope delayed does not equal hope slayed, okay? <laughs> Sorry, my notes. But if you think about that for a second, right? Hope deferred, that's a very familiar scripture for many of us. Hope deferred does make the heart sick. But it makes the heart sick when, you're, when you put a parameter on this is when my hope will be fulfilled. 
If you take the parameter of time off of your hope being fulfilled, it changes the way you experience that hope. You know, we live in a land of Amazon Prime and efficiency. And when we don't get the things that we want and it takes longer than expected, uh, it bothers us, right? The worst is when something says it's going to be delivered in two days. And then two days come by and it says it's still in transit. And then day four and day five, and you go out of your apartment or you go out of your house and you're like looking under boxes to see if your box is there. Maybe you, I've done this before. I go next door to see if maybe they dropped it off to the wrong house. I'm like, I'm like, it says in transit, but I think it's here. And then the email comes. Your package could not be delivered. I, oh my gosh, I am ready to just destroy Amazon, right? Give me, I mean, I want to be compensated for emotional distress. Because I want it and I want it now. But what if we ordered something and didn't know when it was coming? Maybe today it'll come. Okay, maybe tomorrow. Maybe tomorrow. I'm going to keep looking for it, but if it doesn't show up today, I'll wait until tomorrow, and I'll keep going, and I'll keep going. You know, I love this, this image, and I was really interested when looking at this because it almost seems like they, they dip south, they hit a point, they come back up, and you can't really see it, but number 12, right there, uh, Kadesh Berea. All right, Kadesh Berea. I'm like, it's interesting that that point is marked, and it looks like they're heading towards the promised land. Is there a significance to that? And the answer is yes. This is a very special moment. In Numbers 13, God says to Moses and the Israelites, you know, go send some scouts to go look to see if the promised land is, is ready, is it good, all this different stuff. And so they send the scouts, and the scouts come back. And I believe that this could have been a moment where the Israelites beelined home. But God stops them for their unfaithfulness and says, you haven't learned your lesson yet back in the desert. Something to think about. Let's read what it says in Numbers 13. You can just listen to my voice. They gave Moses this account. We went into the land to which you sent us, and it does flow with milk and honey. Here's the fruit. But the people who live there are powerful, and the cities are fortified and very large. He even saw the descendants of Anak there. Those are Russ's cousins. The descendants of Anak, the built and busy ones. The Amalekites live in the Negev. The Hittites, the Jebusites, the Amorites live in the hill country. The Canaanites live near the sea and along the Jordan. And Caleb silenced the people before Moses and said, we should go up and take possession of the land, for we can certainly do it. But Sometimes you got to read the Bible with the, but, but the man who had gone up with him said, we can't attack those people. They are stronger than we are. And they spread among the Israelites a bad report about the land that they had explored. They said, the land we explored devours those living in it. All the people we saw there are of great size. It's Numbers 13, 27 through 32. Met with an opportunity that could have, had, that could have led them home to the promised land, their lack of faith in the power of God hindered them from experiencing the blessings that God had prepared for them. 
I think the challenge that we have to, per, we have to think about is that anytime we are presented with a temptation to complain and to lose hope, that our hope has been delayed, Satan wants to slay your hope. He wants to make you hopeless and faithless. And honestly, in my life, he's done a very good job of that recently. And I love that I get to preach this lesson because I'm talking to myself, right? But what amazes me is that for every voice that says to doubt in the promises of God, to doubt in the fact that God is capable, like the Israelites here with Moses, there is the one voice out of the 11 that says, you can do it. Listen to the voice of Caleb. Listen to your Caleb. As you're navigating in the desert from challenge to challenge, there is a voice that says, you can do this. Stay strong. Stay faithful. But there are 10 other voices that say, no, that's a bad idea. Look at what's happened in the last few months. Look at what's happened to this person and that person. Yes, I know God is good, but like sometimes and not always. And we begin using logic to dispel the reality of God. But there is one voice that says persevere. That's the voice of Caleb. And that is the voice of God speaking to us. Our lack of faith may be, or our, you know, where our faith is right now may be in the, may be the fork in the road in the desert. And if you choose not to be faithful, not to listen to the one, not to, God may send you back into the desert to teach you that lesson all over again. So we, the only challenge is, is that we don't know when the fork in the road is happening. It could be right now and on the other side of your perseverance and your faith comes an amazing blessing that you've been waiting for. It may be in a month, maybe in a year, but it may be in two years. Who knows? But for us as disciples, we need to approach every fork in the road and listen to the voice of Caleb. Listen to the voice that says, we can do this. Remain strong, remain faithful. When you're tempted with impurity, laying there in your bed and you're feeling tempted to give in to temptation, there's a voice that says, don't do it. Listen to that voice. When you're tempted to lose faith that a family member can change and you're gonna give up calling them or give up reaching out to them, do not lose faith. Listen to the voice of God and God will take you where you need to be. Hope delayed does not mean hope slayed. Man, there's so much more I could share about this, but I want to come in for a landing here. Russ made a, a brilliant point a few weeks ago, and it's really stuck with me, and I hope it has for you as well, is that God cares about our faith so much that he'll allow us to go through things that develop it. And we need to remember that. Right now, as you're in the desert, as you're going through things that, where are the promises of God? Things may not be feeling good right now. This is a challenge. Well, just know that God has amazing plans for where you're at right now. You are learning lessons right now that five years, one month from now, five years from now, you're going to look back and go, wow, that stunk, but thank you, God. You want to do something that's going to scare you? Let me, let me give you something, and then we're going to close out here. We were at a retreat a few weeks ago, and the brother from Southern Connecticut, the campus minister there, 
was sharing very vulnerably about the challenges in his life. And, uh, and he, he made the point that he just wants to be close to God, even if it's through suffering that shapes him. And he began praying for suffering. I was like, good for you, bro. <laughs> I heard that. Sometimes I'm like, hey, man. I'm like, no, that will not apply to me. And he suffered. God answered the, the prayer to be humbled and the, God, and the prayer to suffer. He answered, you want to believe in God? Pray those two prayers and he will answer it, okay? He prayed those prayers and Jesus has he suffered since praying those prayers. But seeing him get up and share very vulnerably about him and his relationship with God since praying those prayers blew me away. And what was so cool was that when suffering happens for him now, he's not surprised by it, but he says, wow, this is an answered prayer. And so on Friday, I prayed, Lord, give me suffering. And so I'll let you know how it goes. <laughs> but at the same time, I know that it's in the suffering, it's in the desert, that God will shape me and God will shape you as well. And so if we're going to be here and persevere, we first need to change our why. We need to ask the correct why question. God, why are you leading me through this? And what are you teaching me? And we need to realize that hope delayed is not hope slayed. Amen.